Wonderful. It's always good to hear the chatter. Ask you to go and talk to people, then ask you to stop pretty quickly, I know. But you got every chance afterwards to share in fellowship. We've got teas and coffees and biscuits, and that would be fantastic if you wanted to stay around. So as we mentioned over the last few weeks, uh, we're delighted that we could get uh, Chris booked in the diary from a long time ago. He's obviously booked up to go and speak, but we're delighted that he's here to come and share with us this morning. So Chris is the National Superintendent of Elim. I'm going to ask him a couple of questions before we let him loose to share with us this morning. But let's welcome Chris as he comes and joins us this morning. Fantastic. Well, great to have you, Chris. Thanks, Phil. Great to Um, be here. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, So the role of... Tell us just two or three things about... Um, the size of Elim, yep. so people get a little bit perspective, and one or two of our passions at the moment. Okay, great. Um, so Elim is a, 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 in the UK about 500, 500 plus churches, uh, all different sizes, all different contexts in cities and towns and rural communities as well. Uh, been going for about 108 years as a Pentecostal yeah, movement, yeah. Um, uh, with real kind of Birmingham's heartlands for Elim, because okay. uh, in, in 1930 there was a huge uh, evangelistic mission in the city led by a founder, and it led to loads of churches being yeah, yeah. founded. So this is kind of where we got the most churches of any city outside of Greater London, but that kind of doesn't count. No, no, no. <laughs> And uh, you've got some local connections as well, haven't I have, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad it was a Brummie, and he was uh, lived in Wheelie Castle, just about a mile and a bit from here. And uh, he didn't do great in school. His twin sister got to grammar school, but my dad didn't. So he went to work at Cadbury's at age oh, fourteen. Okay. And so at Cadbury's, there was a a, a bunch of young Christians. I think by the time my dad was 16, they'd kind of worn him down and and invited him to church. And he went to a special meeting at at what was then Graham Street Elam Church, now BCC. But he actually uh, became a Christian and started attending Selio Elam. So uh, I've got heritage and DNA here. Then he went off to Cardiff. He went off to Bible College and then to Cardiff as an assistant pastor. Yeah. Where I, I live in Cardiff, actually, that's my home. Yeah. But it's where he met my mother and then went off into ministry. I also went to uni in Birmingham. So yeah. come on. <laughs> Birmingham boy. <laughs> ah, fantastic. So um, mention one or two things that excite your heart about Elim at the moment. I know we've got about 9,000 churches worldwide, haven't yes, we? Yes, yeah. 550 in this country. A couple of things that, as a movement, we're really praying into at the moment. Yeah, so we, we have this sense that all around the world that, that God is, is waking up denominations and movements and agencies and mission groups for a fresh season of really radical mission. Uh, by radical, I mean outside of the comfort zone, yeah, outside yeah, of just yeah. doing maintenance of church. Yeah. But that this is a global thing that we think the Holy Spirit is doing, and we want to be in on that. Yeah. So we've set this kind of 10-year uh, plan for revitalizing our missional outreach as, as, as a, a, a movement of churches here in the UK. And we've got four priorities alongside that, which are making disciples and developing leaders and, and growing churches and reaching nations. The good part of that is, though, that in the UK, we've got multinationalities in almost every congregation yeah, that we great. have. It's great. a real blessing, but yeah. also we want that to be an opportunity 
to really see how we can reach different cultures, different Brilliant. communities, Brilliant. different subcultures, yeah. and do it really with a sense of fresh face. So that's, that's our passion at the moment. It's how do we get from maintenance mode and just kind of yeah. going through the, the familiar rhythms into really believing that Jesus is going to help us to reach this generation yeah. and every community yeah. that we're a part of for, for him. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, it's great to have you, Chris. Uh, let me pray, and then, yep. uh, yeah, that'd be great, great, and share with us. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We do praise you, Lord, and thank you for our worship, and we thank you, Lord, for your spoken word. We just love it, Lord. When you speak to us and put something on our hearts that we know is from you, encouragement, ministry, challenging us, moving us forward, and we pray, Lord, for what you've put on Chris's heart today will come through from you, Lord God. And we will receive all that you've got for us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You know, often when I'm, I'm in a pretty much a, an Elim church, uh, pretty much every Sunday, somewhere in the UK and occasionally overseas, and often they'll, they'll, you see the program that's going on. I'm a guest speaker in the midst of a whole bunch of other stuff in the rhythms of a local church. So it's great to see what you have coming. Often, Phil, they do say, hey, you know, last week was a baptism. Uh, I missed that. Next week is food. I'm missing that. Um, but it's great to see that over these next weeks, you have this theme of, of, about behind the story. I'm intrigued by that. I'm quite curious because the Christmas story is not just a story. It's part of a much bigger story. It's part of a much bigger revelation that there is a God who not only made us but loves us and is a God who is pursuing people with his divine love. And I want to speak into that a little bit today. Uh, not the Christmas story that's to come, the bigger story behind the story that I, I'm excited for you guys to uh, unwrap a little bit and to share in these coming weeks. So if you have a Bible, um, uh, either an analog version um, like I have this morning, this is a, this is a Bible. <laughs> um, some of you have other uh, tablet versions on, on your phones or whatever. But I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to go to the end of a chapter that Pentecostals love. This is kind of a go-to place for Pentecostal people uh, in Acts chapter 2. Right to the end of the passage, verse 42. And it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came on every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a privilege to bring a few uh, comments about the churches that are under the banner of Elim. Um, but I want to say that uh, above that, there's a much bigger banner and a much more significant one. That is that we are a church and churches that belong to Jesus. I don't know about you and your world, your circle, 
But when people think about church, quite typically, we've found that they think about a couple of things. The first thing that I think usually people will think about when they think about church is buildings. Now, this is not the first or the only building that this church has occupied over time, but it's a cracking building, isn't it? You know, historic, it's got you know, some, some, some decorative features, it's not just a, a box, you've got some hidden away rooms, I'm nosy, I like to look in every room, so I will, if you catch me Phil, that's all I'm doing, it's just cu- my, my natural curiosity. When people think about church, often, if they're not part of a local church, they will think about a building. And across the city of Birmingham, there'll be loads from cathedral to uh, historic buildings like this, built in times past by believing people as a place to worship and gather. Buildings are great, but, but actually, those of us here today that maybe have been part of church for a while, maybe familiar with what the Bible speaks about, what the gospel speaks, what Jesus calls out from the first church onwards, is that we know that really church isn't about buildings. It's about people. It's about people. Anybody believe that this morning? People, not buildings. And we are here today not primarily because of a historic building thing or even a cultural thing, but because we believe that there is a God who sent his son Jesus, who pursues people not just then but now. I believe that we see in the Gospels and in the New Testament that, and in the Old Testament too that God comes to real people in real places going through real stuff. How many of you know Christians go through stuff too? We're not immune from the things of life. We're not immune from the seasons of life. And, and the, the fact that God comes not just to special people, not just to historic people, but comes to real people in a real world going through real stuff. With all of the changes in society and culture, God is not surprised and he's not caught out. He still comes to real people. And he comes through the person of Jesus, his son, our saviour. The message of Christmas that we want to share with others is going to be about him coming to people. Coming in flesh. It's a remarkable drama of Jesus, the son of God, coming down to limitation, to live a surrendered life to his father and to die on a cross and be risen and and the rest of the story so that we could have life. When people think about church in our world and our circle, they think about buildings often and and, and maybe drive past them wondering perhaps what, what that's all about. But they also often think about religion. It's kind of that next response that next instinct that this is about religion amongst other religions there's church and there's temples and there's and 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 so on and yet we know again we know it from reading the gospels we know it from reading the new testament we know it from being around one another as a people of faith many of us here today that it's not really about religion although it's an easy thing to say but rather than religion it's about relationship relationship over religion you might think that's a bit clunky a bit clumsy maybe a bit simplistic but let me explain what I mean number one it's about a relationship with God the church is here in every and in every place where there is church to declare that God loves people but he wants to bring us into fresh relationship with himself that Jesus's message pursuing people coming in the flesh as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, is so that we might come into relationship with Him 
and through him in relationship with God the Father. So there's relationship at the center of church. The purpose of church is to help bring us into relationship with God and others. And as we do that, we come into relationship with one another. I often like to look around in the churches that I'm visiting and, and just check out people. You're real people here today. If you're a real person, just say, say hello or give us a wave or do something. But, you know, you could check that. Pinch the person next to you. Don't do this, by the way. We don't want to get sued afterwards for people manhandling each other. But, but you know, you can check with real people in the room. But we're also really different. In most churches I go to, I'd, I'd look around and see that there are all ages. It was great to see a crowd of young people and kids going out to... I wondered if anybody would be left at all. Real people. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences, different nations. I'm not sure if these flags represent the actual nations, but I know that this is an international and multinational church. And into that mix, it is God's desire and God's purpose that through the church, we come into relationship with one another. Now that sounds really saccharine sweet when I say it, but actually that's a really tough job. That with all of our differences, our diversity, our backgrounds, our experiences, often our preferences and our prejudices, and we all have them, that there would be a plan and a purpose on God's heart, that Jesus' plan, that we would come into not just relationship with him, but with one another. And that we would begin to learn how to do that, how to do it through stuff, without being so offended that we give up part way, but getting through things in a way that brings glory to him and changes us in the process. Relationship with one another, as well as relationship with us and God personally. I want to finally say that when we think about church, often we think about our church, a brand, a label, a name, a history, a a background, a, a, a connection. And yet... God has bigger plans. I want to say God loves his church. I'm going to say it again. God loves his church. Jesus loves his church. His church. Not our church. He's the brand above every brand. He's the name above every name. And there is something unfolding around the world today. As it has been throughout history since this very first day of the first church in Jerusalem that I read from Acts chapter 2. Where he is building his church and he says he's going to keep doing it till he comes again. That that church is his. He loves his church. However much we might moan about it. However much we might recognize that it's an imperfect expression and representation of him. His love, his life, his fullness. Yet Jesus declares that he's going to build his church. And he doesn't mean buildings and religion. He means people, relationships together in him. So that his will and his purpose for others can be made known. From the beginning of this day, from sunrise to sunset on planet earth, all around the world in multiple expressions, the church of Jesus Christ has been meeting, gathering, worshipping, Praising him, praying to the Lord and believing that he's a God who still comes to real people in real places. In cathedrals, in rented buildings, in community halls, in purpose-built buildings, 
like this today. And then in somebody's front room, just starting out a baby church with maybe four, five, six, eight people who are gathering together as a new expression of what it means to follow Jesus in a community. Some places today, they're gathering uh, uh, really secretly, the persecuted church, fearful perhaps of a knock at the door or being dragged out into... And, and, and there are places right now where that is the reality for church. There's a church that meets in, in, in uh, a cave on the, on the edge of Cairo, Coptic, spirit-filled Christians, thousands of them meeting in a huge cave. In other parts of the world, in some of the largest slum areas of the largest cities of the world, they can't keep count of the amount of baby churches and, and expressions of church that are, that, that are already in existence and others starting every day. I'm saying it to say this. The church is Jesus' church. And he has a bigger story for us. He calls us to a bigger reality that calls us to begin to discover his purpose with this imperfect expression that we see all around us that's been called to something more. Now, let's jump into the passage of Scripture. That's just my introduction, but I will fly through this, I promise. Acts chapter 2. It's a day of days. It's a day prophesied. And promised. The prophet Joel said that there would be a time coming, says the Lord, when he would pour out his spirit, not just on prophets, priests and kings, as we see in the Old Testament, but on all people. All flesh is the word there. I studied English, forgive me. I like to be dramatic with words. I love words. I'm not really a drama student, although some might, might say I've got aspirations. But forgive me for a moment to making something of these words. It's a day of days. And the prophets had prophesied that the Spirit would come. Then John the Baptist came and he said about Jesus. In fact, I noticed something this week uh, leading up to the Christmas story. I was reading again some passages. Reading when, when Jesus comes to be baptized, it, particularly in John's Gospel right at the beginning, um, but other accounts in the other Gospels too. And the moment that John the Baptist says, sees Jesus, he says, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. That's a prophetic scripture from the Old Testament. And, and he begins to, it's like he's saying, look, the Lamb of God has come. And he begins not only to baptize him, to, but to proclaim. He's the one that the whole prophetic promise has been about. He's the one that has been promised as the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb Who's been promised. And then he sees him again. And he can't help but say behold the lamb again. It's kind of that just got me this week. Just this sense that every time John the Baptist. This prophet who's preparing the way the Bible says. Sees Jesus. He's like whoa there he is. The one that's been promised. And moving on. To say this they've been prophesied. John had said when he comes. He will baptize, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit and power. And then Jesus comes. And he begins to prophesy. That in a little while, when I go to the Father, it'll be better for you. Because then when I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come. Hello. He's going to be with you, my spirit, always until I return. 
And so we've had all of these prophecies that there is this spiritual outpouring. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon real people in real places to do the will of God. And Jesus says, when he comes, you will have power to be witnesses for me. The impossible task of living a life for Jesus in a fallen world as frail and fragile people. And he says, don't worry, I'm leaving you, but I'm sending you my spirit. And this is the day, Acts chapter 2, when suddenly they're gathered in prayer, despairing of the fact that Jesus is not physically present with them any longer. And yet he's promised them that the Spirit is coming and the Spirit comes. Now, that's just by way of introduction to this part, because that's the the first three quarters of Acts chapter 2. And then I've honed in on a moment after Peter, a fisherman, not a preacher, not trained in the scriptures, tells the crowd as they come onto the streets filled with the Spirit and speaking in other languages that they've never learned. And the crowd begin to say, what must we do? And he tells them to repent, to turn their lives around and give their lives to Jesus, the one that's just been crucified, just risen from the dead, just gone to the Father in heaven. And then he begins to call them to give their lives to him and to come into newness of life be baptized receive the spirit for themselves this promise is for you he says and for all who are far off and for everybody who will come to Jesus future tense and then we get a summary at the end of the chapter and it tells us that as thousands responded that day we hear that 3,000 Men were counted that day who gave their lives to Jesus Christ and began the adventure of being followers and disciples of Jesus. We hear this, and they, that's the thousands, not just the disciples who'd been in the upper room. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed. Let's just stop it there for a moment. There's a word that Luke, the doctor, writer of the gospel, who's writing the book of Acts, not just in his own words and his own intellect, but the Bible tells us as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. As he was inspired, that's what that means, kind of God-breathed words coming into Luke. And as he tells the story here, he summarizes what happened next after the day of Pentecost. says, and those who responded that day, thousands together in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves. I want you to hear that word devoted. Devoted is not a, a word of duty or of habit. It's a love word. Devotion is drawn from the lexicon of love. It's a word that is about passion. is about things beyond mere duty and obligation. It's not a religious word in that sense. Although religion often turns to it. Different uh, approaches to faith and to belief will often seek to be devoted. But really it's rooted in love relationships. And so when we hear there, they devoted themselves to some stuff. I want us just for a moment to pause. Firstly, to teaching. 
the first word that comes out, that doesn't just mean they were all really kind of uh, well-prepared and seasoned students. No, these were ordinary folks from all kinds of different cultural backgrounds that were in Jerusalem at a feast time. The city was packed full of people from around the diaspora, from around the world who'd come to Jerusalem around feast time, as well as some local residents. And in that moment of them surrendering, saying yes to Peter's proclamation that Jesus is the Savior, the one that's promised. And that he comes to bring them into new life and new relationship. They begin to respond and they begin to respond to something that's more than just a yes in a moment. It's to a whole new way of living. So they devote themselves to and and they don't know what they're devoting themselves to other than Jesus. So something starts where they begin to learn and have an appetite to grow. And what is it that we are to do? How are we to know him? I want to say to you guys, I really believe the church is back at a place in the Western world. We're after a privileged position for centuries that loads of people around us have no clue about Jesus. I mean that respectfully. They may be not interested They don't know the story. They certainly don't know or don't believe the story that they might have heard without Jesus revealing himself to their hearts. Because it's not just an an information or an intellectual thing. This is about a spiritual reality as well as an informational reality. And so they begin to learn teaching. Fellowship, that's a word that we've kind of trivialized. We think of fellowship as much as I, I'm looking at those biscuits and I want one of those chocolate chip cookies afterwards with a coffee. But you know, fellowship isn't just some way that we do kind of a bit of socializing together. That word is drawn from deep-rooted um, uh, ground uh, where significantly it talks about having something in common that is beyond everything else that unites you. When you come into fellowship, you lock into a purpose that means you do stuff together because you are bound in fellow kinship, fellow humanity. A purpose beyond other purposes. They began to live life together. They began to do stuff together. The next one speaks about them being devoted to the breaking of bread. That, That is that they had recently heard Jesus say, hey, take this bread, drink this wine, and, and, which they were used to doing in their ceremonial Jewish religious life. But, but to, when you do it, you're doing it under a new covenant, a new promise now. This is you and me and the Father. This bread represents my body which has been given for you and this this wine represents my blood that has been shed the early part of the church history we see that they thought christians were were practicing cannibalism there they thought it was really bizarre and really weird a really strange thing that those christians to do and it offended the culture of the day but actually what was happening there was jesus was saying i want you at the center to remember my death And my life given for you. So they began to do that regularly. Not as a religious observance only. But as a relationship bond. And then finally the prayers. It doesn't just say prayer. It's talking about praying. These new believers in Jesus didn't know how to pray. 
That's kind of what is that stuff? And they began to learn together that they could talk to him, that they could walk with him. That they didn't just have to have rehearsed things, but they could, they could build relationship with him. And that there were prayers for all kinds of things. You could, all kinds of praying. The SOS prayer, help me Jesus. And the more considered, Lord I love you with all my heart. The prayer that comes from reading the scriptures perhaps and getting a, a verse that goes, wow, if that is true, then thank you Lord. The prayers of the Psalms and the songs that they would be singing that would start a, just a dialogue between you, me and God that is daily, that is in the reality of life. Not often out loud, mostly internal. So here we have them and I want to say three things that happen in the next five or six verses at the end of chapter two. And I'll say them really, really quickly. But I will pray and ask that as we close this message in just a short while, that you will think about making an entrance point before we get into the rush of Christmas to say, Lord, I want to be devoted to you. If you are the Lord of all and the Son of the living God, if you are really the one that has a purpose and a plan for my life, then I want to grow in love and commitment to you not coerced and pressured, arm twisted, not just influenced by the habits of others, but I want this to come alive in me so that I will be much better able to show the life giver that you really are. Devotion is where we're heading. First of all, then devoted to, to Jesus. These new believers, we hear that Things began to happen in their lives. where They began to have a new desire to get to know this Jesus that had been preached to them. They, that most of them had not been eyewitnesses, but they were around some people that were for that first period of time. And so they were hungry to hear what he said and what he did. When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, four different perspectives on the same story. John says this of the Gospels at the end of his, almost the closing words, he says this. Jesus did many other things. Actually, John tells us just of seven miracles and seven bold statements that Jesus made. The I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the shepherd of the sheep. You can read those for yourself. But at the end, John says, of all the things that Jesus said and did, if they were told, there wouldn't be enough books in all the world to contain them. There's so many things that he did. But these things are written. So here's the purpose of why that gospel has been framed. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Saviour. And by believing, next step, you might have life in his name. Not just believe and stay distant. But I've written these things under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the breathing of the, of, of, of the Spirit of God, so that you might believe that he really is the real thing. And by believing in him, you would accept new life. Wow. If ever you want to introduce somebody to Jesus, it's not a bad place to start. Read this book. Read this little gospel. Because this has been written so that you might not just see him as a prophet or a wise guy from afar, from a time ago. But know that he offers you life. 
and that he is trustworthy even to giving your very life into his hands. So they began to want to know him. The end of his life, the great brain of the Apostle Paul had strained to write down the things that he believed about Jesus for the churches. But he'd done amazingly. Again, with God's help. But he gets to the end of his life and in a number of places he says this, I want to know him. Talking about Jesus. I say, pause a moment. Paul, what do you mean you want to know him? Surely if anybody knows him, it would be you. Towards the end of his life, he's not, he's not speaking from uncertainty when he says that. But he's speaking from this growing desire that there is more and more and more to know about Jesus. And the more that we know him, the closer we become to him. And the closer we become to him, the more rooted our lives will be in the reality of his love and his power and his desire for others as well as for ourselves. The more secure in who he's made us to be. The more secure in how we're to live together. So they had this amazing devotion. I pray in my own life, you know, I'm getting older. I, I, I still feel like that, that, that wide-eyed uh, teenager that came up to Birmingham University. And in fact, on the way in, I, I just quickly diverted to see the old hall of residence that's now housing on the way in, Manor House, that was owned by the Cadburys, that I lived in for three years when I was a student here. Just have a look at what they've done to the place. Didn't tell them I was coming, so there was no, nothing special. <laughs> that wide-eyed youngster that, that stepped in and began to... That curiosity, that sense of what has life got for us. Jesus wants to stir up a devotion in us that for the rest of our lives will never be done knowing him. Why? Because that's where all the other stuff begins. Around the world... I believe that the Lord is waking up the church from complacency and from kind of consumer stuff. I mean, I go to church if I feel like it, da, 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 be part of the church here and there, depending how it's going and whether I like the songs. And That's my heart, if I'm honest. And yet, there's something so much more devoted to him. Second devotion that we see, and I'm not going to take time to unpack this in, in detail, but it's there in the, in the verses. They get this whirlwind account of the fact that they start to do life together so they start to care for one another they start to forgive one another they start to go through stuff together they start to sell their stuff and share it with each other and they start to feed one another and hang out together they start to do life together build community that sounds really easy but you know in the, in the west again we've had a disintegration of communities and so we're desperate for community, but we don't really know how to do it. We, we know how to do it with strings. We know how to do it when it's going well. But we don't know how to do real community going through stuff. Remember I said Christians go through stuff too? And then again, in the worldwide church, what does it look like for us to be devoted to one another? Well, Particularly when it's so hard, when we're so different, when we're struggling with stuff. When... And yet they began an adventure of becoming a fellowship, a community together. 
I want to suggest to you that that wouldn't be a, a, a bad reset for us. No offense, I'm not around here. I don't hang, up, hang around uh, long enough here to know some of the challenges that you guys will have and the, and, and the great examples of that that you'll have. But I, I do see that in other churches and in my home church. But it's not easy. It means beginning to do life together in Jesus' name in, in ways that, that, every, that he supersedes all the other stuff. We begin to learn how to love how to forgive. It's not automatic that we become a devoted community of people who love one another as well as loving him. But that's the call of God. That's why he says that he loves his church. He wants to do something with his church. And he wants to make us into a united bride, army, building, kingdom, all kinds of images that, that, that are used to express that desire that we'd be one. There's a guy in here called Barnabas who we see in the book of Acts emerging. Later on he becomes a, a church leader but initially he's a guy who's he's got some, some property left to him and he sells it and we hear about him that in this time where the church is learning how to become the people of Jesus and the people who love one another, he sells it and he gives all the money to the the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. No strings attached, no conditions, no hidden clauses, no small print, just over to them. And they use it across the, 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 the life of the community of believers. I think that that was a first step in some stuff in Barnabas's life. Years later, he would become a great leader and an encourager of others. In fact, they gave him a nickname, the son of encouragement. Barnabas isn't his real name, it's his nickname. It means the encouraging one. And that was learned in this time of learning to love one another and learning to give for others beyond yourself. So there's something going on that's really extraordinary here right at the beginning where they begin to love Jesus. They begin to get to know him more and more and, and to make it more real and less religious, more intimate. But at the same time, they begin to start loving each other. And some of them, there were masters and servants in the same community. There were people who were enemies outside. I'll tell you one story that I heard from a, a good friend some years ago, a couple of years ago, of a, a, a young Tamil-speaking Sri Lankan guy who was involved with a... With a a terrorist organization back home in Sri Lanka. And his mother was a, was a Christian. She was praying for her young son in his early 20s. And uh, she knew that he'd had a call from Sri Lanka to ask him to go back to serve in some operation with the, the organization he was bound to. And I'll say it very diplomatically and carefully, but it's a, it's a genuine story. And she begged him to come to church with her. They went to our church in, in London that she wasn't a member of, of Kensington Temple. And, they, and there was no space. They were late. So they, they went right on the front row. And they sat on the front row. And he's there. And she's desperately praying for her son. She thinks he's going to go off and lose his life. And he's blinded by his call from these guys. And in the service, uh, they, they're just praising God. And, and, and people begin to speak in tongues, as we say, and all over the building. And suddenly this young guy hears in his own language, but in a very kind of cultured version of his own language, 
he hears somebody behind him speaking to him. He, he feels it's to him and telling him to put his life right and give his life to Jesus and that everything will be changed. And he turns to the person after the service and says, how did you know, who are you? How did you know what you were saying, my language? The person had no clue what they'd said. They didn't speak his language. He's so dramatically touched by that, moved by it, that he responds to his mom's prayers and to others around him becomes a Christian. Fast forward a, a, a year or so on, and he joins a church led by a Sri Lankan pastor where around him there are people from his community and from the opposing forces in that civil war that had been going on for so long. And he and a brother from the other side become bound together in Jesus. I wish he were here to tell the story. I've only heard it secondhand from his pastor. But that's what was happening in that first church in Jerusalem. People who lived in enmity, who had more reasons to be offended at one another, to be against one another and to carry their burdens and their passions, suddenly laid them down. Probably not suddenly. Step by step, season by season, began to learn how to let them go and begin to pick up a new burden and a new passion and a new purpose. Finally, he says, in faith, we'll land the plane. Devoted to Jesus, devoted to one another. It didn't happen automatically. It came over time. Real people in real places going through real stuff. And Jesus beginning to be, calling them to something bigger. And working it through. When we're offended, we work through the offense. When, when, when we feel like quitting, <laughs> some, some, some disciples said to Jesus when he said, are you going to turn away now too? Because the people were offended at his teaching. And they said to him, Lord, where is there to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Where do I go? I'm sure they wanted to, but this is life. And once I've found you, there's nowhere to go. We're called to be devoted to others. Others that are not like us as well as others that are like us. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Acts 1.8 In Jerusalem, for most of them, it wasn't their city. They were visitors. They wanted to go back home to Galilee or to other nations and cultures around. But Jesus said, stay in the city until my Spirit comes. And then you will be my witnesses. And oh, how Jerusalem grew, how the church grew. Thousands were saved in Jerusalem. Thousands became followers of Jesus. So it must have been tempting to stay. But Jesus had said, from Jerusalem to Judea, next community. Like cousins, if you like. Then to Samaria. Oh, they were at enmity. They were, they were uh, opposed cultures and religiously. And then to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth, with all kinds of people that are not like us. And I'm not just talking nationalities, I'm talking about cultures, ideologies, belief systems, where Jesus calls us to be devoted to others in his name, to go beyond offense, to go beyond dif- difference, to go beyond my prejudice and, 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 and defensiveness, and, but to believe that he wants his church, all of us. To begin to live differently. Now, how do we do that? 
We can't do it in our own strength or our own abilities. We have to believe him when he says, if you give yourself to me, I'll give you power. And if you collectively will give yourselves to me, I will give you guys power and presence and a love and a compassion that you don't have yourself. I'll give you my heart for people that you had no heart for. And just like I've given them my heart for you. And so, on the day of days, the starting gun sounds for the church. Jesus' church. And they're called together. And they're encouraged to be devoted to him. To be devoted to one another. And devoted to others. Let's bow our heads. Just for a moment of prayer. Maybe of just invitation. It's a joy to be with you today with brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. If you belong to Jesus, hey, we're part of something together. And there's millions of us all over the planet in various different stages of the journey. Yet what he wants most is your heart and my heart. Only we can give that. If you're here today and you maybe like me, you're saying, I want to be more devoted to Jesus. I really do. I don't just want this on the outside. I want it on the inside. Lord, would you come to me? Maybe your prayer with me this morning is to say, Lord, let me be closer to you. Will you just show yourself to me? Maybe you're in a tough season right now. It's hard. Challenges that you face, the situations that you're in, maybe some of that. It's just hard because you feel kind of spiritually dry or maybe just a bit distant. And I want to ask that you would have just the openness today to say, Jesus, will you come to me? Will you show your love to me again? Will you open my heart, ignite my heart to love you again? Because if you're all you said you are, you're all I need. And out of that, I believe that I can step forward into anything. If that's you right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. and just ask you to say, Lord, come to me. And all the busyness of the next weeks. I give you my heart. I love you Lord. I want this to be more than just a moment years ago. Or, or an experience sometime past. Open my heart to you again. And then secondly... Maybe you're here today and you, you've never be, really responded to Jesus. You know about him. You sense you're on a bit of a journey. And, and I just want to give a moment of opportunity for you to say in your heart first, inside. And afterwards, maybe you might want to speak to Pastor Phil or, or to one of the team. Just say, I prayed, I prayed that prayer today to become a Christian, to say yes to Jesus. Like many did on that day we've read in Acts 2 without raiding or gate crashing your situation respectfully I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray then we'll close with just a a prayer for the church this church, encounter church that the Lord would do something really fresh in the year ahead really accelerate that, that, that devotion to one another that getting through stuff together, life-giving, life-giving, new community, that while you're part of this, we'll, 
will change you and you'll help change others. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, firstly, our hearts, we say, come to us, Lord Jesus. Give us fresh love, devotion. Let this be rooted in deep, abiding love, fruitful for the rest of our lives. Come afresh to us over Christmas season that when we talk about you, maybe to others or invite people to, it's, it's born out of that expectancy that you love us and you, you're wanting to do us good. Through all situations, come, help us to be more devoted lovers of Jesus. And for those maybe that are on that journey, Lord, and maybe have not yet taken the step of saying, Lord, I receive your offer of eternal life. Take my life and make me brand new, the person that you've called me to be. I believe in you. I'm ready to say, yes, Lord. I'll serve you. I'll live for you. I receive your love, your forgiveness, your new life. Those that are maybe here today, that's their prayer right now. I ask you, Lord, as I know you will, to welcome them, to, to give them your presence in the very first moment of inviting you to take them at your word, Lord, to take them forward into a new adventure of knowing you and following you. And for the church, come, Holy Spirit, into Encounter Church at this season. Just as we go into December, come and enable there to be a fresh download of Holy Spirit presence and power. Release it, Lord, to be more devoted to one another and more compassion and vision and faith and expectancy for others. Maybe way off right now, but who you're going to put on our hearts, on our radar, on our spirit. Lead us together to help others to come to know the one who is Lord, Savior, our hope and our future. And everybody said, Amen.